Amen. My word of welcome. We're delighted in your presence today. Glad to see each one of you here. Glad to welcome those who are worshiping with us online as well. Now, there's a clock back there, and I can usually see it. Today, I can only see two numbers. Ah, thank you so much. I thought maybe they'd change the clock out and put a calendar in the back because I preached too long. But I'm so glad that you're here today and glad you can worship with us. On this Palm Sunday, how special it was to see the children come up. Did you hear the one child saying, I want to go back in there now when they were leaving? They'd had enough of that, right? You may feel that way too when I get through with you today, but I hope not. I hope you're happy and, and ready to be here. Now today we're going to talk about relationships. I wonder how many of you are in a relationship right now? Raise your hand. Anybody in here? Anybody who is not in a relationship right now? It's, that's up to you. <laughs> How many of you would like to be in a relationship right now? Look around at the people who raised their hands who were not in a relationship. Grab them after church. Put them in a headlock. Talk to them. Find out their name. Maybe this is your chance, okay? All right. So anyway, we're going to talk about that today. Now, I heard about a boy, and every time he would bring a girl home, his mother never liked her. Until one day he found the perfect girl. She was exactly like his mother. She looked like his mother. She had the emotional makeup of his mother. She had the outlook. Everything about her was just like his mother. So he brought her home. And his mother loved her. But his dad couldn't stand her. <laughs> We're talking about relationships. There was a group of city boys who went out to the lake to swim. The lifeguard said, now today we're going to swim, but we're going to use the buddy system. we got to use the buddy system. So I want to make sure every one of you has a buddy to swim with. Grab a buddy. Y'all raise your hands up together so I know that everybody has a buddy. The boys looked a little confused, so the lifeguard asked, what is a buddy? One little fellow was holding up his buddy's arm. He said, I guess it's somebody who's willing to drink with you. Hey, that wasn't the intention, was it? I mean, a buddy is there to help save you, and you save them. But let me ask you a question. How many of us are willing to drown with somebody? How many of us love somebody enough that we really care about them? We care about their best interests. We're concerned about them. We want the very best for them. We want to protect them. Today, as we talk about relationships, we're wrapping up this series, Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. If you make better decisions, you'll have fewer regrets. And so the big idea is the relationship between good questions and then good decisions. You see, the best decisions we make are when somebody's willing to ask us some really tough, good questions. They help us discern, is this something I need to do or is this just something I want to do? How do I make my decisions? And as we do that, if you'll answer the five questions we ask in this series honestly, and if you will act on those and take advantage of that, then I promise you, you will make better decisions and have fewer regrets. Your life will be better, but not only your life, the life of those around you, those people who depend on you, their life will be better as well. Now, you remember the first question is called the integrity question. If you don't have these, if you haven't been here, you're going to get all five today. So make sure and get them, jot them down, put on your phone, however you want to do it. The integrity question is this, am I being honest with myself really? 
Because as long as you lie to yourself, you're never going to get to where you want to be because you'll never look objectively and honestly at where you are right now. You have to determine where you are right now in order to go somewhere else tomorrow, right? And so you have to be honest about that. The second question is the legacy question. The legacy question is this. What story do I want to tell? In my life, when my life is over, during this time that I'm here, my children, my grandchildren, what story do I want them to hear? Are there parts of my life that I, I'm not proud of, that I don't want to tell them about? You know, I don't want to have to exclude parts of my story. So I want my story to be a witness. I want to tell a good story and make good decisions one day at a time. Third question is the conscience question. And that is, is there any tension that deserves my attention? You see, when you're getting ready to make a decision and you think everything seems all right and you've thought about it and mentally it looks like it's all lining up, but there's something just bugging you. Something in the back of your mind is gnawing at you. Something in your gut just says it's not right. Something's wrong. What's going on there? Then you need to pay attention to the tension. You need to stop and you need to pause and you need to let that bother you so that you can discern what God's Spirit is saying to you. Now the last time we were together, we asked the fourth question. The fourth question is the maturity question. The maturity question is, what is the wise thing to do? Based on my past experience, my current circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, What's the wise thing to do? If you've just broken up in a relationship, now might not be the best time to start a new relationship. You might need to give that a little time, process that, get a little healing. Remember, unwise decisions lead to regret. And that leads us to our last question today, the fifth question, and that is the relationship question. Now, Jesus, during his ministry, he was always hinting that something new was about to change. Something new was coming. They weren't going to do things the way they'd always done them before. It was going to be a new day. And what he was going to do was he was going to replace first century Judaism. While many people were thinking he's coming and he's going to be a political reformer, he's going to come and do something. You know, he had something different in mind. It was far more inclusive. You know, he entered Jerusalem for the final time. He rode that donkey in, and what happened was they waved palm branches. They laid clothes down in front of him, and they said, the Messiah is here. Hosanna in the highest. Now things are going to get back to normal. Now we remember how it was with David. Things are going to be like that. He's going to be a mighty military political leader. He's going to lead us into the future. We're not going to have to live under foreign rule from the Romans. Now we're going to be independent again. We're going to be a strong nation. We can do whatever we want to. And we're so excited that he's finally here to do that. You see, their expectations with all the crowds that gathered that day were for something political something regal, something messianic. He had their attention. They were ready. They were ready to be with him and to follow him wherever. But they didn't understand his intentions. 
In fact, even the apostles were confused about the ultimate aim. Right up until the very end, they're still jockeying for positions of power and also positions of strength and, and how he's going to reestablish this new kingdom in Israel. And can I sit on your right or on your left? And am I going to be in charge? Right up to that arrest, he gathers them together for what would be their final Passover meal. And then he reveals his intentions. To begin with, he announced that he was leaving, and that was not a good thing. I mean, think about it. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're one of his disciples, and he's leaving, then things aren't going to be going very well. Why else would he leave? And if he's leaving, what's going to happen to you? I mean, if our leader is gone, what are we going to do? What's going to happen to us? And so they're concerned. But besides that, why would he be leaving now? Now of all times, because they're on the precipice of revolution. They're in a place where the kingdom is about to be restored. The timing couldn't possibly be worse. So on this final night together, here's what he said in John 13, 34. A new command I give you. Now, he wasn't adding a command. He was doing something far more radical. He was replacing the existing commandments, all of them. Jesus had come to replace much of what was in place in that day. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another which wasn't actually new, but Jesus was commanding them to do something. As I have loved you, now you must love one another. And in this moment, Jesus establishes himself as the standard for love. If they want to measure love, if they wanted to evaluate their love and behavior, then they looked to Jesus, and that was the one who pointed them to what it meant for them to love others because they were Jesus' followers. Now, Jesus could have called on his disciples one by one and gone around the room. He could have looked and said, Matthew, you remember what you were up to when we met? Yes, sir, I was working for Rome from home. Well, I was pretty much a government-sanctioned thief with bodyguards. And I remember because good people kept their distance from me. And Jesus could have said, Matthew, do you remember what I said to you that afternoon we met? Yes, sir, you invited me to follow you, which was unusual because nobody had ever asked me to do that before. In fact, when people saw me and they thought I might be following them, they hurried and rushed home and closed their doors because they didn't want to be around me. Exactly. Now, Matthew, I want you to extend that same grace to every single person you meet for the rest of your life as I have loved you. I want you to love others. And he could have worked his way around the room and given that speech to everyone who was sitting there with him. Love as I have loved you. Extend the same grace, the same forgiveness that I have shown you. So how about you today? Your disciples, your followers of Jesus, what about you? What were you up to when you first understood and accepted the call to follow Jesus? I want you to remember back with me. 
I want you to remember that time when you made your decision to follow Christ. I want you to remember how excited you were and, and maybe how little anxious you were. I want you to remember what was going on in your life right then and how God just took that and changed everything for the better. I want you to remember what it was like to take Jesus' hand and start walking and allow his spirit to live inside of you and to be led by the spirit and to be his disciple and to have a heart for other people. And to go out every day and say, I want to tell other people, I want everybody to experience what I've experienced. I want everybody to know Jesus. And I want to be a witness, not for my benefit, but for them, because I want them to have this same relationship. You see, Jesus hears your prayers, and he forgives you. And he forgives you over and over and over for all the dumb stuff you do. And you do some dumb stuff. I know, because I have too. In my case, I have no excuse not to extend grace and forgiveness and mercy repeatedly to everyone I meet. I've been commanded to love as I've been loved by my Savior. And Jesus could have added, and gentlemen, at the Last Supper, if you think that you've seen me love, you haven't seen anything yet. Because tomorrow, I'm going to put on a demonstration of love that will take your breath away. But more importantly, it'll take your sins away. And it'll take your excuses away, too, why you can't love the way I love. Tomorrow, I'm going to give my life away for you and for my enemies. And then in John 13, 35, it says, By this everyone will know <clears throat> that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, Jesus was pointing to a specific thing. That's the identifying characteristic of Jesus' followers, and that is the way we love. If you want to get closer to God, if you want to walk in his presence, if you want to hear from his spirit, then the best way to do that is get closer to the people around you. Jesus is saying, if you will love the way I've loved, then you'll be drawn closer to me. And that was the unifying, defining characteristic for this new movement of the church. That's what the church is all about. When the world looks at us, they're supposed to see something different. In a world full of hate and violence and war, in a world full of criticism and, and just trying to put me first and everything, the world doesn't know how to respond when we show love, real genuine love, when we love as Jesus loved us. This new command was to serve the governing ethic of everything we did against which all our behavior should be measured in stark contrast to the first century way of thinking. The new litmus test was not just some ritualistic day and festival. It was not just don't forget to say your prayers. It was not to worship an invisible God. Following Jesus would not be looking for ways to get closer to God. Following Jesus would be looking for ways to get closer to other people. Because when we love other people, that's when we get closer to God. 
Jesus' followers would demonstrate their love for God by putting the person next to them in front of them. Really, you go first. Let me sacrifice for you. Let me give you the best seat. Let me make sure that you're taken care of first before I take care of myself. Authentic Jesus followers would not authenticate their love for God by looking up. They would authenticate their love for God by looking around and seeing how they could love other people and looking people in the eye and recognizing them as individuals and people of importance, people that Jesus would spend time with, people who need to be known, people who need to be seen by loving the people around us. And that was an unprecedented move for religious figures in that day. Jesus didn't leverage his position to stir his followers into action. The Apostle Paul said it best. Jesus did not regard equality with God as something to be leveraged for his own benefit. Instead, do you know what he did to inspire his followers to action? He loved us first. And then he said, now I want you to love as I have loved you. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. You must love one another. Jesus knew the command was far less complicated than what they were going through in the system they had in that day where they had all those rules and regulations to follow. But he also knew that it was far more demanding than anything they had ever experienced. And that brings us to our last question, the relationship question. The relationship question is this, what does love require of me? What does love require of me? When unsure of what to say or do, ask that question, what does love require of me? And then do unto others as your heavenly Father through Christ has done unto you. Because Jesus always did what was best for us. And then he said, now I want you to do what's best for others. And if that sounds like too much to ask, congratulations, you're finally getting it. The light bulb has come on. Now you know exactly what Jesus is asking us to do. And the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to Christians in Corinth. And it says, when it comes to relationship, God will always nudge you. The Spirit of God will always nudge you in a direction of kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And when you're tempted to try to control someone else, then he'll just remind us, no, you just exhibit self-control in front of other people, and that will be a witness. The most detailed description of what real world love looks like and acts like is found in a letter to the Christians living in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says this, love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. 
Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. I want you to get a picture in your mind right now, everybody in the room, everybody watching me online of someone you love, someone you really love, someone that you could apply every one of those characteristics to. And because of your love for them, you're going to do all those things for them. That's what Jesus is teaching us to do for the world. He says it's patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. Love never treats another person dishonorably, disgracefully, indecently. Love doesn't recreate regret. It is not self-seeking. It is not angered. It doesn't keep score. Love forgets the bad and elevates the good. Love doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices in truth, and it always protects. Love never smuggles something harmful into a relationship. It does just the opposite. Love keeps harmful things out. Love doesn't seek to win arguments. Love works to protect relationship. Love chooses to trust. And then he finishes up by saying, love always hopes, it always perseveres, and it always protects. And that's why our fifth question is not for the faint of heart. If you're a Jesus follower, this is like asking, what does my Lord require of me? If God is love, and we're talking about what love requires, then we're talking about what God requires of us. And that's why we require, he may require us to go and apologize to someone. Who is that person that comes to your mind right now when I say that I need to go apologize to that person? I need to do it today. I need to rebuild a bridge with that individual. It's our relationship has broken down, and I need to be the one to mend it. I need to write a letter to that person. I haven't talked to them in a long time. I need to rewrite an email, and I need to send it to that individual. I need to do it today because that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what the kingdom of God on earth is all about. That's what we are. That's who we are. We are the church. We are the kingdom of God on earth. We are his representatives. Now, by her own description, there was a girl, a student at the University of Nebraska who saw herself as a not-so-attractive person, just kind of a plain person. She didn't see herself as someone who really stood out. But one day, God changed her life. And I mean, it made all the difference. She looked at that high watermark, and she wasn't the same person anymore. And she decided, now that God has done this for me, I need to do something for someone else. And so the first place she decided to do that was she went to the hospital. And the first day that she was there to visit patients, she saw a child whose head was almost bigger than his entire body. And everybody there just kind of stayed away from him. But this girl named Laura said, if God can love me, God can love this little boy. 
And every afternoon she would go to the hospital and she would take puzzles and she would work with this child and she would talk to him and she would tell him stories and she would sing songs to him. He had been in the hospital for months and he had never made any response to anybody. But then one day it happened. One day a smile came out across his face. And then one day after that, he started talking to her. They'd never seen him do anything like that. And then, not too far down the road, one day he started laughing with her. As the doctors were walking by, he looked up and said, Hey, Doc, come here a minute. And the doctors were in shock. They had never seen anything like that. They all went to the nurses and they said, What has happened with that little boy? He's never done anything like that before. I said, you see that girl over there? Her name is Laura. She comes here every day. and She spends time with him. And for the first time, her love has just opened up his world. And he's a new person. Then the doctors and nurses came to Laura. And they said, we want to thank you for what you've done. It's a miracle. Your love has done for this child what none of our medicine, none of our surgeries could do. Your medicine, they said, is stronger than anything we have in the hospital. Do you know the strongest medicine in the world today is love? And nobody... Nobody has the kind of love to share that Christians have. Jesus said, let me tell you something new. You love now in relationship to how you have been loved. And by this, they will all know that you are my disciples if you have love one for the other. You want to walk with God? You want to hear from the throne? You want to be led by the Spirit? You want to have a relationship that will never end? Then love. Love. Because Jesus showed us. He didn't just tell us about it. He didn't just talk about it. Man, He did it. He gave His life for you and me. And He said, that's the way I want you to love. He says, as long as you're on this earth, i got something for you to do. If you're not dead, you're not done. And there are people that you can reach that nobody else can reach. I've had some divine appointments recently. I've run into people here in town just going into stores having no clue that was going to happen. And, and they just come up and start talking to me. And they'll say, you're the preacher. I'll say, yeah, I am. They say, we watch you online. We have to work on Sundays, but we, we watch you online. We do it faithfully. We even give to the church. You've never seen us. You've never met us. But we just want to say hi and how much we appreciate you. In fact, when you came in today, I was just bending her ear about the church and how much it means to me and how much I love it. And she's new in town. She doesn't have a church. And then she pipes up and says, but I'm going to come to your church. I want to be a part of that. And I'm just going to the store with my wife. I mean, I don't have a clue any of that stuff's going to take place. Now, you think if somebody out there on the perimeter 
somebody who's watching online, somebody who has to work on Sunday, but they're telling other people, hey, I found a good church, and this is the church I attend, even though I can't be there personally, and I give to that church too, and I want you to go and find out about that church as well. You think that if people out here in the community are willing to do that, you think you and I could do that? Because God put you here. It's his church. He gave you a place to serve. And you've got an opportunity that you're not going to have forever. Because when you go to heaven, there's no more time to tell other people far from God about God. But there is now. And so he says, if you want to get close to me, love. Love people the way I've loved you. Do this the way I've done it to you. Those of you who have ears to hear, let them hear. Father, thank you for these powerful words from Jesus. May they be the standard for what we say and how we treat people. Father, I pray for every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, every student who's listening right now who knows in their heart they need to make things right with somebody else. I pray that they'll take care of that today because that's what love requires. And Lord, when we're at peace with those around us, it just frees us up to be at peace with more and more people around us and to be an example of Christ. Lord, I pray you'll give them the courage to submit to you this moment and obey you and to do what the still small voice of your spirit is saying to them to put it into practice to do it not just talk about it and father I pray that all of us would live a story worth telling and ultimately that story would point to you and give you all the glory in Jesus name we pray, and all God's children said,